0: Tabletop Journeys. We have a very special episode for you tonight, a great conversation with the members of our cast, conversation about them as role players, as people, and as their characters, what they have brought to the crew of the Dalamas Christian. At this point in time, I'd like to take a moment to introduce the player who plays the captain of our intrepid crew. Not an Intrepid class. It's a Saber class. As I said without further ado, I bring you Joe. Joe, please take a moment introduce yourself to the audience, fellow Patreon members, and everybody we can on the interwebs.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. My name's Joe Harney, and I, as Lee mentioned, I play Commander Sabian Tobor, the commanding officer of the USS Dilamas Christian, the Saber class vessel that is our primary vessel in our Star Trek Preservations game. I've been role-playing for a vast majority of my life, starting with the stereotypical Advanced Dungeons and Dragons when I was in high school and working my way all the way through, through some esoteric, new age, hippie, dippy, independent, past the stick type games. So I've explored the whole gambit but I've really landed on Star Trek Adventures as perhaps the most elegant game system that does the genre simulation of a episodic action space adventure opera game. I've really uh, dug into this, and I know you and I met through a, a Facebook fan community for the Star Trek Adventures, and I believe it was maybe three and a half, maybe four minutes after you posted that the Tabletop Journeys were going to be doing Star Trek Adventures, when I had signed up, become a Patreon, and was asking what days we were going to start playing. So I was all in from the beginning, and this journey uh, across the stars has been amazing. I've been uh, being accepted in the Tabletop Journeys fan community has been one of the best journeys I've ever experienced.
0: Thank you. The Star Trek Adventures community page on Facebook is an amazing group of folks. I have been a part of a lot of communities and various things, both electronic, digital, social media, whether it be the Army, the Boy Scouts, various sporting teams I've been a part of, groups at my college, my role-playing group back in college, my LARP group back in college. But I can tell you, in the digital medium where you hear so much worry and discontent and disheartenedness about people being mean-spirited or not being helpful or gatekeeping or down-shaming, the beauty of that Star Trek Adventures page is none of that exists there that I see. I'm not saying that there haven't probably been one or two people that have shown up, but the mods and the folks that run that page are just amazing human beings who care so much about this hobby, this community, and people in general that none of that really comes through on that page. And it becomes a great opportunity to meet like-minded gamers, like-minded Star Trek fans, and people that just really become fast friends, found family, and all the things we love to see at the table. It's been great going through this journey with you because, and we'll get to some of this in some of our questions later, it is tough in the gaming community when you feel really trapped into one specific game or another. You really do at some point have to reach outside of your regular game group or in other cases, maybe even your regular game store or your locale. Uh, the internet provides that opportunity as long as you know where to go. And I would say the tabletop journeys page, the tabletop journeys, Patreon community, the star Trek adventures page. And there are a few others out there. We've talked about uh, RPG match as well, but I will say without equivocation, the groups that i have chosen to become a member of and stay a member of and am active with those are definitely the places to go if you're worried about hey i want to try a new game hit us up we'll get you there you know and if we're not running that game right away i Bet you we know somebody who is or how to get you involved in that table somehow, some way. We are here today to talk a little bit about you, Joe. You mentioned you started with Advanced D&D, and that's a great place. You talk about the general time frame without giving away too much. How do you you show you're old without saying you're old, without getting too much into that? Tell us about some of those early game experiences. What were some of the things that you really liked in... Those early games you played that you really carry forward, the things that kind of inform the way you role play now, lessons yeah. learned, or lessons that you retain. I, I want to hear about all the good stuff.
1: Of course. So I think those the glory days when I was in high school and we were playing. Playing Dungeons and Dragons. And while well, the statute of limitations has expired, so cutting out of school on Fridays after lunch to then go to the local pizza party place and play Dungeons and Dragons in their spare side room. None of us at the time really knew what we were doing, especially rules-wise and mechanics-wise. And inadvertently, we learned quite a bit by accident that the most important rule of an any RPG is never let any of the mechanics get in the way of telling a great story. And uh, I've and since then uh, I've been involved uh, with many different groups. I've had the great fortune. I have grown up and spent the majority of my youth in the San Francisco Bay area. So I had the opportunity on every major three day weekend to attend one of our excellent gaming conventions throughout my entire uh, late teens and early 20s. So I'd never have wanted for game groups or game abilities. So very fortunate in that regards. But ever whenever I would go and play at a game convention, I would always marvel at the styles and the different philosophies that uh, other people brought to the table and the the rules, lawyers, were the ones that always perplexed me the most because I never understood why you would let the rules get in the way of of telling the story you want to tell. And my uh, journey throughout my gaming career, I very much quickly gravitated to uh, any and all games that had been written by John Wick. At the time, he was the first time I encountered him was with the Legend of the Five Rings. RPG that was at the time based off of the card game, and has continued throughout this year as like the second longest running card game fantasy world that was not Magic: The Gathering or Dungeons and Dragons. And the Legend of the Five Rings really appealed to me because it was a non Euro centric uh, fantasy RPG that wasn't just a rip off or or Serial numbers ground off of some Asian tropes. It really yeah. de- delved in and explored some really unique fantasy uh, genre that was uh, based around the cultures and a blend of a lot of the pan Asian historical cultures. And so, in that experience, I became an enormous fan of John and all the later things he did houses of the blooded, Seven Sea. I know I was like an admiral level patron patron of his seven C second edition Kickstarter. I have an entire shelf library full of pretty much everything he's done to date. And and I would encourage everyone to go to Drive Through RPG and download his seminal work called Play Dirty. And it's a fascinating book that he goes through and essentially talks about and expands upon his game mastering philosophy and how he views what an RPG is. One of the things that really struck me and I took away from it and has informed me for pretty much my entire gaming career is that tabletop are the, is the only medium where the content creators are also the audience They're around the table. And that gives such a unique perspective to the medium of what we do, that it makes tabletop RPGs completely in a class of their own, and uh, which is why to this day, even with the advent of the internet and all of this stuff and online and MMOs and all the things that try to replicate the tabletop experience, but because the audience isn't also the creator's I think those thing, all of those other attempts and mediums fall short, and why tabletop RPGs, I think, will continue for into the in, into the future. I don't think there's until we can hook our brains into each other and communicate telepathically. I don't think any other way, any other medium is going to be able to replicate the experience we get when we do a tabletop RPG.
0: I wholly concur. I have not been an avid follower specifically of John Wick, but I can say since the earliest RPG iterations of Five Rings and uh, iterations of Seven Seas, I have always borrowed elements from those to inform different games, to give... Some of those flavors or feels, whether it be to adventures or characterizations or environs within other games that I've run. They've always just always it's always been in my individual personal gaming site as source material to borrow from and use. I've owned several different things. I've owned a couple five rings, I believe, around the three five days or what have you as well. And the dark times
1: as we call them. We don't talk about that.
0: I, I, I can say that for the most part, it was because I need this flavor or this way of doing things. I needed to learn how its Five Rings version worked so I could then put that in other things because there's always in every one of those things something I wanted to put into something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right there with you. Going a little forward with your gaming history, a uh, question that intrigues me from a, man, I really liked statistics in college way more than a person should like statistics in college. a oh, number weird. of
1: spreadsheets I have that have uh, probability matrices and all yeah. that. That
0: yeah. yeah. No, I'm there with you. Shout out to Michael for the matrices because, yeah, I can't tell you how much I'm into it. One of the questions that I've asked many people in the Tabletop Journeys community is, are you typically a game master or player? What's the percentage split in your gaming career kind of overall? Or And as importantly, if not more importantly, how about in the last year, 2023, where do you think you fall in, in that question? Yeah, so it's been a
1: really interesting journey because, of course, I think like most people, I started as a player early on and very quickly I wanted to venture out and I did venture out into the GM sphere. But what I think a lot of first time GM, I encountered what I think a lot of first time GMs do is that I didn't truly understand the collaborative nature of tabletop RPG. And so at at the time, and especially a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons in second edition and the early 2.5, three edition didn't, tell you this, but I had stories that I wanted to tell and I wanted to share and I attempted to share them and the group was not on board and wasn't on the same page. And I had several really bad early GM experiences that scared me off from GMing for a long time, like 10, 15 years. And it wasn't until, again, really reading that book from John Wick, Play Dirty, and everything that I was like, now I understand it's a collaborative. I'm not, if I want to tell a story, I should write a novel. If I want to create a story with my friends, that's when the tabletop RPG is at its best. And with that, I came back, did some, did some jamming. And then since about, 2019 was when I started my own Star Trek Adventure game, and I know it's bleeding into the question, but I had ran over COVID through starting in person and then moving to hybrid and then moving back into person. I've ran uh, probably for the last three, four years a Star Trek Adventures game. And so I would say the coming on to Tabletop's Journeys is the first time I've gotten an opportunity to play in probably the last six or seven years.
0: At some point, Tabletop Journeys is going to have to do an episode of what's your what's the worst GM experience you've had that you learned great lessons from. I could probably personally fill two to three hours worth of that. But we'll condense it because that's what Tabletop Journeys does. We condense that and then carry on the conversation. i got mine right now,
1: if you don't mind, Lee.
0: Well, yeah.
1: It's that more players is not always better.
0: I, I, once ran,
1: I once ran a game with nine players at the table, and it was a disaster because, of course, I couldn't give all nine players enough of the spotlight to keep them engaged, so they became it, disruptive and lost. It degenerated. Control,
0: so. so, interesting. my experience with large groups is significantly different than that in that I have run tabletop games with as much as... 12 players successfully I generally run live in person games 6 to 8 I don't like running that high digitally it is much more difficult digitally to run that high Uh, and equally I have run LARPs with as many as 100
1: LARPs is a whole different animal but essentially LARPs end up becoming 5 or 6 different games all at once right so yeah no I get that
0: yeah So, But I'm actually, uh, when it comes to in-person games, I tend to like either very small or fairly large. There's a spot in the middle where I don't think it works as well. So I think six to eight is not optimum. But if you have 12 and they're the right 12, I think that can even run better than six to eight.
1: You're a braver and man than I, Lee.
0: I don't do it often because it is hard to get people who are good to do that all at once. Part of that is experience. Part of that is people who just can play off of each other. And the key to that is really just setting scenarios where people will interact with each other and don't need you to be part of every interaction. And if you can do that's how you get the larger groups to work. So it doesn't work for every story. It doesn't work for every game system, but it can work if you have all the right things in the right places. That said, it can also go famously wrong. Got to take that advice with a grain of salt. Looking and you did bleed into the question a little bit. How, uh, when, and how did you first get into Star Trek? You talked a little bit about when you first started GMing the Star Trek yeah. Adventures game, but let's talk about Star Trek in general. I know you and I have spoken about this a few times in person, not in person. I haven't got to California, you haven't got out here to Connecticut since we've met. Someday, future state, let's hope we get together and can maybe make a good pasta meal at some B and B somewhere and have a great time. Who knows? I think that'd be awesome. But uh, I will take you wine tasting through Napa Valley. I, Whenever you want. I am so in, it is not even funny how I've got a bag that just got packed and you didn't even see me go and do it. So let me drop into Star Trek as a whole. Where yeah. did you? When did you first get involved with Star Trek? Like how did that first come into your orbit or did you come into its orbit, laws of gravity and all that? And take me through that Star Trek journey.
1: Yeah. So anyone who can do the math and knows anything, I was seven years old when The Next Generation aired for the first time and from the very moment of encounter at far point station i was hooked and so much so to the point where i think here in california it was shown on thursday nights and our family dinner time changed from the normal the normal schedule to an hour later so that we could watch the weekly episode of tng because it was one of the things that my dad and I at the time really were able to connect with and everything. So it really, the especially TNG's presentation of a utopian future was really resonated with me at that age. And then, of course, we moved on through Deep Space Nine, which to this day is still my, I think, my favorite series because of the the risks that they took both in how they casted the crew and such which was quite forward for the time but also from a cinematic and series making thing they i think had the first three part episode at any one given time it's it's hard now to remember now that it's available on Netflix or Paramount Plus but like the when it first released in the dominion war was this multi-season plot line that went through. That wasn't just this episode of the week thing, and it really was serial space opera. Of course, it came out at the same time as Babylon 5, so they were both competing for that grand space opera show. But I think that really set Trek apart from just being... The planet of the week in the strange new culture of the week. And Voyager went back to the roots of traveling along, meeting new people, getting into hijinks. And then from there, all the spin, everything that's spun from there, the movies, Enter a Card, and Strange New Worlds, and Lower Decks, and everything and Discovery has all been just an amazing ride through Trek.
0: Absolutely. When it comes to Trek, I've got a couple years on you. I was quite a bit older when when TNG first aired. And DS9 came in right as I was in college or college aid. It was actually in the Army when it came out. Or just getting Yeah, I was, still, I was actually still in the Army and going to college and, and such. And I remember the biggest challenge with... DS9, unlike Babylon 5 was, Babylon 5 in the area I was in Maine, that had a regular night. DS9 did not. So it was very difficult to get into DS9 for a long time. I just didn't. I realized very early on after the first couple episodes that it was sneakily serialized television. DS9 didn't necessarily telegraph that it was serialized television. It just ended up being that way i think they knew they were going to be that way and if you watch ira's what we left behind they are very clear that they were intentional about how they did that but on the outside if you're just turning into television and you've gotten used to the first s- six years of tng and there's one year left you didn't realize that's what we're doing you just realized that this episode made no sense yeah yes and if you lived in an area where you didn't see episodes in chronological order, it made it harder to watch. Once I realized that, I just stopped watching. I said, someday I'll be able to buy all of it on, on VHS, and then I'll watch it. Lo and behold, it was actually quite a bit longer than that. There was no longer VHSs. I didn't even buy it. I waited till it was on uh, Netflix, and then I finally did a, a full – I wouldn't even say a rewatch. I rewatched individual episodes, but I actually watched DS9 for the first time pre and into the early parts of the pandemic. And that's when I was like, this show is absolutely brilliant. Similarly with Babylon 5, because it had a consistent night in my market. I always thought that that was a brilliant way to do television because I saw it work. They were just more blatant about it. They specifically said, this is a five-year show. It's about this thing. It's a start and an end. Get ready for it. So they were more blatant about it. But Star Trek DS9 was and remains a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it and you've heard things about it and you're unsure, you've seen it and it seemed okay but not great, I strongly implore you, watch it start to finish. You won't go wrong with that show. Um, one last thing about you as a player and as a gamer and also involved with Star Trek was Star Trek adventures, your first Star Trek RPG, or did you play any of the other games prior to
1: It's a yes and no type of question. Yes. Star Trek adventures is the first Star Trek RPG game I've ever played, but, I own every iteration of the Star Trek various RPGs going back. I've got the copy of Fossa, the last unicorn decipher version, but it wasn't until I got to Star Trek adventures by Modiphius that the system really spoke to me and sang to me like uh, like with the core rule book. And uh, the first time I opened up that core book with those black printed L cars pages And just the ink comes swooshing off and hits you in the face. Um, I'm pretty sure Jim Johnson and the team at Modiphius put something in the ink. It's like they put it in the Orion pheromones is what it is. It's Orion pheromones. But immediately I was drawn to it. and And it was the only system. I messed around with all the other ones. They were all okay, but they didn't help me tell an episode of Star Trek. The, the systems were always getting in the way, and I was having to take pieces and pull it out and chunk it around, and never could never could get it enough of interesting with my groups to really uh, delve into it to make it worthwhile to try and go into those systems. But with with the Star Trek Adventures from Adfius, it was seamless and elegant, and I pitched it to my original game group i went through i maybe spent five minutes describing how the game the 2d 20 dice mechanic system works on the like most basic level they all got it they were all into it and we hopped in and did a session zero Built characters built the starship and then we're off and flying for four years
0: yeah. Excellent. Moving on into some character stuff, tell us about Commander Tobor. Tell us about the character as you envision them and your take on your character.
1: Yeah, so Commander Sabian Tobor is the captain of the Dalamis Christian. Lee and Josh and the team had a really interesting pitch for when the game was created that we're all going to be classmates originally at the academy that tied in together. And so... I really had the head-scratching moment of if we're all going to have been classmates, like how, how is some 23-year-old kid going to be in charge of a starship? And so I really hit on the fact that the best way to get there was to make the character a join trill. While the current host, Sabian Tobor, is in his early to mid-30s, the symbiote in him is several hundred years old and had a previous friendship relationship still is a little bit nebulous between the main commanding, I hate to say quest giver, but the main admiral who's in charge of the sector of space. They have a they have a deep relationship and that was my work around. I had that idea or I had a Vulcan because Vulcans live quite a long time to have that fill in that role. But I've always been really fascinated by Trill since a wonderful presentation of Dax in Deep Space Nine and what it would be like to really have the blended personality between two beings working in harmony and then to just be that old and have memories that predate the Federation, right? To me, Joe, what would it be like to remember a time before George Washington crossed the Delaware? That concept was is really fascinating and something I really want to and to explore with this character.
0: What have been some of the biggest influences in the way in which you have developed and play the character?
1: So one of the biggest influences has been a meta thing, and that has been – we are in a quasi-military command structure, and he's the captain – and we're doing a recorded podcast, and I've been extraordinarily conscious of and making sure that I give all of the other players the spotlight and not run ramshod over them. And one of my biggest influences is several several officers in the United States Navy have written several great books on leadership that I take a lot of inspiration from. It's Your Ship by Commander Michael Abrasoff, and The Accidental Admiral by Admiral James Savartis, formerly SAACOM of the NATO Alliance. Both of the books, general leadership books and directed generally towards business, but in a tabletop RPG, it, any group of humans that come together for a common endeavor whether it's to make money or to tell a great story, I think can always benefit from these kind of servant leadership styles. And so those two have been really some of my biggest influences, which came to a head at the uh, very last part of the last episode of the season that I won't spoil here, but there was a bit of interpersonal back and forth between, between my character and one of my subordinate officers that's going to get addressed in season two.
0: Yeah, people will sometimes listen to things slightly out of order. We'll leave that where it is. I I won't get too much into that. I love the fact that there's some real-world military styles to it. One of the things that has come up specifically in my... Star Trek games, both Preservations, the Patreon game Expeditions, which if anybody hasn't heard, if you join the Tabletop Journeys Patreon, we run a monthly game. One of our ongoing campaigns is a Star Trek Adventures uh, campaign called Star Trek Expeditions. It is set in the same world as our Preservations actual play cast. Specifically, one of the people that Commander Tobor has had a past host relationship friendship connection with is the captain of that ship the michael collins that's not an aired piece of content but it is content that our patreon members get to, to be a part of play in we play other games as well but that is our primary campaign but one of the things that comes up specifically with star trek adventures and in other games that I have run that have either a military structure or quasi-military structure, when my players have been members of the military, that they struggle with wrapping their head around is that issue where a person in leadership considers themselves somewhat of Less of a field commander or general and more of a collaborator with their officer cadre or their leadership cadre or the rest of their squad. While that, while they encompass the leadership, they are spreading out the responsibilities and allowing uh, opinions. Interestingly enough, it is not dissimilar to what's on procedurals. If you look at the way the various NCIS shows work. Many of them operate in the same style where it is less I'm in charge. While well, there might be an episode here or an episode there where that comes up, if there's a little interpersonal conflict, I think it was NCS, New Orleans, Scott Bakula. Ah, there's your yep. start connection. He frequently said, go learn things. I love that style of leadership. It is a style of leadership that I'm very familiar with through my Boy Scout experiences. And it is the style of leadership that was very much fostered by people, in adults in my childhood who ran those Boy Scout units who happened to be part of the Navy. So there are things that I really like about that, but it is unique. I can tell you eight years in the military, I never had a commander who did it like that. Not once, but I always wanted one. So it's like for me, it's wish fulfillment. I am running the kind of military organization I always wanted to be in and was always possible. But it wasn't everywhere. So it is one of those things that comes up. I'm glad you brought that up for that reason because it does – it is something that people who worry about need to think about. And it is a great way to consider if you want to do any kind of military-style campaign, whether it's Star Trek, Modern Game – or even a city guard or whatever, you can do those things. Whoever is playing, or even if it's an NPC running that unit, you need to take from those sources to be able to do that. Looking back, what is your the favorite element of your character or trait of your character that you have either demonstrated or utilized so far. This is a
1: the Star Trek Adventure system is so elegant with the attribute discipline combination, the focuses, values, and then talents. The one thing and this is very interesting too cuz I I want to get your opinion on this Lewaneko when I was running Star Trek uh, adventures I struggled with engaging with my players' characters' values, especially because the mechanics is allowing to challenge those values or complicating the scene with those values to earn determination points. I always found I wasn't really utilizing that to its fullest experience. From my perspective with Tobor, I think it's actually been the talents that I've selected for him that really have really added to... The flavor and understanding of the character, because of course, as a I took the joined trill talent, which allows in a, a scenario where I need to be to have a focus that's applicable, and then I doubled down on it on one of the newer players' guide talents called "Did the Reading," which lets you substitute in your science discipline for other disciplines if you can narratively justify that you've done the done the reading ahead of time, and so that really. To me, those two talents in conjunction really, really create the element of the like ancient wisdom and accumulated knowledge that the Trill has and the well of that information to tap into. And then, of course, the other one, I took the Advisor Talent, which lets me give bonuses when I assist as the commanding officer. And then I have one that I've yet to use, but I'm going to be in our season opener. So I'm going to leave that one for the audience to discover when we get there.
0: Excellent. I like the way you went through and allowed those specific talents to really become the defining quality. It is something that's interesting. I think there in Star Trek Adventures, there are ways, and for some characters, it can be values that define the character. It can be the role that can define the character, but it is never the stats, which I really love. It's about your choices in the case of tobor and it was through role play i don't know if it was as much by design as more the way the story just fell those were the things you leaned into more i don't know if josh and i were specific in creating scenarios that leaned on talents more so than values or more so than other elements i think that was less intentional and more unnatural outcome from the way in which we tell stories.
1: Uh, And I think um, the great thing about Star Trek Adventures is, and this is another lesson I learned from John Wick's wonderful seminal work, Playing Dirty, is that the character sheet is a love letter to the GM. And not one, not two, but you have three elements to tell the GM what type of story you want to play with your character. The first is the character's values, the things that they believe in, the things they're willing to risk their lives and die for, to lay down their lives to protect. Uh, And then secondly is the focuses, the six six to seven focuses that a character has is really the the things you want to engage with and touch most frequently. Yep. So if you've got someone who's got engineer warp drive and jerry rigging and damage control, like they're gonna be that character is gonna be their natural element in like the chaos of, of conflict and such. And then the third bucket is the talents, which mechanically allow you to manipulate a scenario. So those scenarios that uh, most frequently come up is uh, what those players are angling for. So I think those three pieces of Those three sections of the character sheet really send a a strong signal to the GM on what types of stories the player wants to play with that that type of character.
0: I would absolutely agree. You posed the question. I think we – I want to engage values a little bit more, but as I look back at season one – I think they actually came up more frequently than I... They came up in places where I didn't expect them to come up, and they came up very naturally, so I don't know if there's any more intent that I need to put towards that, other than engaging players or characters that may not have done it as frequently. I think it comes up on its own fairly easily, again, as a natural outcome from the types of games that we play.
1: I agree. I think the, the, the... kind of the first layer, the first element of the determinations where you spend a determination point to do something based off of one of your values, that one tends to come up the most naturally, most organically. The the other elements of where you can gain determination by complicating the scene by sticking to one of your values um, is one. And then also then presenting a scenario that a character's, Value can be challenged and changed. I think that one—that's the chef's kiss piece to resist. Whenever a character encounters something that causes them to change their fundamental belief system, that's I think those are the prime directive stories. Those are the drumhead and the the measure of a man episodes. It's gonna be—it's not gonna be caviar every episode, but those are the ones that we remember decades later, as being seminal pieces of social commentary. I think really, and sometimes you can engineer those scenarios, sometimes you can't. But I think uh, a GM should always have it in the back of their mind, looking out for giving the characters the opportunity to have those deep philosophical challenges and debates.
0: I look back at season one and I think about the mission where you were dealing with the sabotage on the communication satellite and the injured personnel and then trying to get them medical care (laughs) and the bureaucracy that was involved in that. I think that was a great example of, are they really asking us to do this? This is a person's life here. And that was mostly planned. But it was the players and the characters that were involved in that scenario, which I did not know when I planned that mission, that said, I can go this way with this adventure. And it was fluid how we got to that particular part of it, even though a conflict was definitely pre-written, the exact nature of that conflict changed with the players who were present. And I think that's really my answer to your core question is how do you get – values and how do you work that all in? The answer, you can't plan for it too far in advance. You have to know who's going to be in that moment. And then if you see the right mood and you got the right pieces in the area, now you can grab them, form them into something and go with that. Another great
1: thing, and they do talk about it quite a bit in STA, but I borrowed it a lot from John Wick's works, is as a GM, you create the scenario and then you ask the question. Then you sit back and you let your players answer the question. Don't think of what the answer is. You can have some like possible, like what could possibly come up with, and then soft linkages to if they go, if they choose this, then this, if they do this, then this, but always leave yourself the opening for them to answer the question in a way that completely surprises you and takes you off on a completely different direction. That's really. I found my early GMing career, that stressed me out immensely. But as I've grown into the role, that is the, that's the true magic of the tabletop genre. It's not a video game decision tree. There's only so many buttons on the controller you can push to answer a question. But tabletop game, it's unlimited.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: Are limited by the player's imaginations.
0: Correct. Joe, one last question before we call it a night here. We talked about you. We talked about your gaming experiences. We've talked about the character, where Tobor came from. We've talked about some of the things that uh, you've gone through and experienced and enjoyed over the last season with Tobor. Is there any element of your character that you're really looking forward to exploring in the upcoming season? Is there some piece of either Tobor as a character or some piece of the grand story that Preservations is telling that you want to dive deeper into in the coming season?
1: Absolutely. I think there's two main threads to that. One's kind of a pers- personal to the, the character and one's to the story. The character one is I want to explore is the relationship between Tobor and Admiral Pritchard. I think we've done a good job in season one of establishing that there is a relationship, but understanding what that relationship is, I think is a lot to, a lot of room to explore. And I'm looking forward to it. The story one is, again, the overall theme that you pitched it to us is the post Dominion War, threats from the wolves on the door winter is coming the federation is weak are we going to abandon our value core values for survival and practicality or are we going to adhere to what makes the federation and if that leads us to our to the federation being destroyed and, and being consigned to the dustbin of history that is history's verdict so I'm ultra fascinated to see which direction we go with the, the story. Excellent.
0: Joe, thank you so much for everything you've brought to Star Trek Preservations and brought to the character of Tovar. You have brought a character that is just totally enjoyable to Game Master for, and thank you personally for what you've brought to Tabletop Journeys and to me as a as a gamer as a player, and if I may be so presumptuous as a friend, when I started running this particular game, when Josh and I started, I had never run a Star Trek Adventures game before. More importantly, I had actually never played in a Star Trek Adventures game before. So I was desperate for lifelines to help me feel comfortable in my own skin behind this set up an incredible group of gamers. I cannot express to the audience enough how amazing the gamers we have on this cast are and even by extension, the quality of gamers we have within our Patreon group, many of which are largely GM more than players, so, and they are playing because they want the opportunity to play in a, because they are so frequently GMing games. That is tough. It is daunting to be a GM for GMs, especially in the early running where I knew the rules okay But they were not as fast on the tip of the tongue or as readily available in the operating part of my brain to have somebody who had much better rules acumen than I did at the time and who had just a really good sense of, hey, I got the info if you need it not in that rules lawyer sense like you spoke about earlier, but more like here's the info if you need it. And you knew when and how to step in and did that with a plump. I cannot express to you enough how well the season has gone because of the way in which you approach that. Of four billion thank yous. How about this? One thank you for every star in the galaxy. You're way too kind, Lee, and I.
1: Similarly, I want to uh, echo back the thanks to uh, the Tabletop Journeys uh, casting crew. It would have been very easy for uh, for you to have a game set up where we're all just junior officers, not even not really lower decks, but junior officers, with a captain that's just an NPC that you use as the the primary driving focus, which is a very successful way and style of campaign that can be run. But to uh, essentially hand over your flagship podcast crew to a stranger. We'd had several really good conversations on our Star Trek group. Uh, You'd seen me post on the group and past and be helpful and supportive. But you really, when I asked if I could step up and be the captain, you really put a lot of faith in me to ensure that this product was going to be of the highest quality without really ever having known me. And so that, that faith you put in me is tremendously humbling, and I have considered it to be one of my sacred duties and tasks to ensure that this is the best product we can put out from all angles. I really have felt that just like any commanding officers entrusted the the vessel by the government in which they serve, I really felt like you entrusted me with the Dalamis Christian in a way that was extraordinarily gracious and then also gave me the the room and the, the ability to tell the story I wanted to tell along with the rest of the group. This has been a one of the most fantastic ex- gaming experiences in my something years of gaming. i really, as you say, a thousand percent the crew of the the Christian and then also the larger expedition crew. We have a deep bench of amazingly talented people and players and game masters here at Tabletop Journeys. And I can only look forward to the upcoming season as we can only get better and better as we uh, continue to develop acumen with the system and the story. And we just continue to peel back the layers of intrigue and adventure that Lee and Josh have set for us. And I can't wait for season two. In fact, you can confirm that I've already been begging you. When, when are we going to schedule the next session? <laughs> it's not January yet. And I'm like, what are we playing? What are we playing? The calendar's filling up. We need to play.
0: Yeah, yeah, we are. We're on it. Josh and I are starting our rough planning, and there's some secret sauce that we're going to give away in the last of these little season break episodes about why we're being very plotting with how we dribble out some of that, those details. I'm not going to lie;
1: half of it is like my schedule is like starting to fill up, but like the other half is
0: like I'm trembling. I need a. I need another hit. Can, uh, can I get just a taste? i just, just need a little taste oh man joe great as always you and i will keep talking we always talk Absolutely. You know, uh, especially when there's a star trek show in session because we talk after every episode did you see it yet no not yet i'm on my way home i'll watch it shortly we'll talk in a couple hours We're, we do that but i can't wait till we uh can roll some dice Ooh, that cliffhanger Ooh, it's good. Man, it's going to be a great one. <laughs> All right. Thank you so very much, everyone, for joining us here at Tabletop Junies. Joe, thanks again, and we look forward to seeing everybody very soon. Have All a good right. long and prosper. I-D-I-C.